So thank you so much, Daddy. Um, I just inherited this, um, this ministry this year. So he's been a wonderful ministerial overseer to them. So I'm just beginning with them. So Daddy and Mommy, thank you so much for all that you did and for all that the Lord will continue to use you to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, shall we bow our heads to pray? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are so, so very thankful to you for your faithfulness and your mercies over our lives. Thank you, Daddy, for being here with us. And thank you for all that you have packaged for us. Thank you for your spirit that is here to interpret every word that you want your children to hear. Father, we trust you for the understanding mind and we trust you for the willing mind also to respond in obedience to your word that our profiting shall appear unto all men, your name shall be glorified, and our joy shall be full. Blessed be thy name, faithful Father. Thank you, Daddy, for answered prayers. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. So I really thank God for all my beautiful members. I mean, if they weren't there, I don't know how I would have been doing this job. But to God be the glory for their love, for the passion which we deserve, for their commitment, both evangelism, visitors follow up, and also now the enrich ministry. The Lord is a faithful rewarder. He's not unmindful of your labor of love, which you have labored in his name, and he will reward you so bountifully for us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so our topic today is Sonship, relationship, and inheritance restored. Sonship, relationship, and inheritance restored. We are taking our text from Jeremiah 3, verse 19. Jeremiah 3, 19, and it says, But I said, how can I put you among the children and give you a pleasant land, a beautiful heritage of the hosts of nations? And I said, you shall call me my Father. Everyone say, my Father. My Father. Amen. When I read the scripture, it resonated with me. I say that this is talking about people today. God is longing for a way to bless us. God is longing for a way to give us the inheritance that we lost in Adam. And the only way he could do that is by restoring us back to himself as his children, whereby we could now call him daddy or father. And it's only through Jesus that the spirit of sonship and this inheritance is restored. There's no other way. So that God now becomes our father as we choose Jesus or we receive him. And then we begin to share the inheritance that belongs to him, with him. That's with, to Jesus, with him. In John 10, 17, I remember that when Mary was looking for Jesus, that he didn't know, she didn't know where they kept him. And then when Jesus appeared to him and then revealed himself to her and by calling her name, and she wanted to cling to him. But Jesus said, in that John 20, 17, he said, do not, say, for, say, uh, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. 
But go to my brethren and say to them. See, he called them my brethren. I am ascending to my father and your father. And to my God and your God. So because the, the work was done. So Jesus said, now go to my brethren. Before he was, calling his, he was just calling them by names or his disciples. But now he referred to them as his brethren. Also in Hebrew 2, 10 to 12. He said there, for now he towers above all creation. That's talking about Jesus. For all things exist through him and for him. And that God met him, pioneer of our salvation, perfect through his sufferings. For this is how he brings many sons and daughters to share in his glory. It's an ongoing thing. This is how, by what he went through, that's how he will bring many sons and daughters to glory. The reason why he said this is how is because there are still those out there that are not yet children of God. But it is true this, what Jesus went through, that they, when they receive him, that's when they will be added into the family of God. And verse 11 says, Jesus, the Holy One, makes us holy. And as sons and daughters, we now belong to his same father. So he is not ashamed or embarrassed to introduce us as his brothers and sisters. So God loves it when we that, that, that have known Jesus, when we address him, our God, as daddy or father. For he has said in verse 12, I will reveal you really, I will reveal who you really are to my brothers and sisters, and I will glorify you with praises in the midst of the congregation. So because of what he did, he knows that anyone that chooses him is now his brother or his sister. However, sin is a problem and it's a reality. And when we talk about sin, we are talking about living below God's standard of righteousness. Sin is a transgression of the law. It also means doing anything that dis displeases God. That's why in 1 John 3, 4, the Bible said, everyone who sins is breaking God's law. For all sin is contrary to the law of God. The Bible said none is righteous. No one is righteous, not even one. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned. Even if you are now a child of God, you were once in that category. Jeremiah 17, 9 describes the heart of man. And it says... The heart is deceitful above all things, and it is extremely sick. Some, the, some translations will say extremely wicked. You say, who can understand it fully and know its secret motives? And also, even God himself, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 says, the Lord saw that the wickedness, depravity of man was great on the earth, and that every imagination or intent of the thoughts of his heart, we are only evil continually. Only evil continually. That's describing the heart of man. When Jesus came, he said in uh, John 2, 24, 25, he said, but Jesus, for his part, did not entrust himself to them. That's to man. Because he knew all people and understood the superficiality and fickleness of human nature. Wickedness. And he did not need anyone to testify concerning man and human nature. 
for he himself knew what was in man. He knew what was the core of human nature, the DNA of human nature. The root of man or his DNA was sinful. He was sinful. Man was naturally born a sinner. Everyone, from if you're born of a man and a woman, the Bible says we were all naturally born sinners. How did it happen? In Romans chapter 5, 12, 13, said, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. It was when the law came that it became obvious what was sin. So the reason, you know, the root of man was simple was because we were naturally born sinners. Because of the sin of Adam, sin entered into the world and therefore all men sinned. The core nature of man became sinful because of the sin of Adam. It's not the singular sin that anyone does that makes anyone a sinner, like somebody who tells a lie or maybe cheats or steals or whatever. Those are the fruits of the root. The root was sinful. The DNA was sinful. And as a result, naturally, you don't teach a child to do anything wrong. It comes so handy because of the root, because of Adam. And that's why the scripture declares all of us as prisoners of sin. In Galatians 3, 22b, but the scripture declares that we are all prisoners of sin. There was no escape. So we received God's promise of freedom. The only promise of freedom that we have came from our daddy God, and it's only by believing in Jesus. That's how you become free from this, you know, yoke, from this prison of sin. So he gave his life to purchase our freedom. That's talking about Jesus. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 6, it was said there, he gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is a message God gave to the world at just the right time. God has purchased the freedom of everyone, including those who have not even yet received him. It's a done deal. Jesus did that 2,000 years ago. That was why Jesus came, to purchase our freedom, because we were all prisoners of sin, because of Adam. Not because of the singular sin that we did, but because we were born of man and a woman. Man lost this freedom in Adam. We read that already in Romans 5, 12, and 13. In Genesis 1, see what happened when man was created. Then God said in verse 26, Let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man in our image according to our likeness, not physical, but a spiritual personality, a moral likeness, and let them have complete authority, complete authority, note that word, complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and over the entire earth, and over everything that creeps and crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image and likeness of God, in the image and likeness of God, in the image and likeness of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Not going to. He already did that. Nothing was impossible with man because it was man that named everything. You can imagine lion, tiger. Man was dealing with them because God created him and gave him authority over everything. 
Verse 28 said, And God blessed them, granting them certain authority, and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subjugate it. That is, putting it under your power, and rule over, dominate the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and everything that moves upon the earth. Can you imagine that everything that you can think of that moves upon the earth? Man had dominion over every one of them, because God gave that to him. But you know, free choice comes with an option. In Genesis 2, 8, 16, 17, the Bible said, that's Genesis 2, 8, 16, 17, and the Lord God planted a garden oasis in the east in Eden. Look at the garden. Delight, land of happiness. Remember what the first scripture we read? How shall I give you this inheritance, this pleasant land? Only when you call me my father. That was the Garden of Eden. And he put the man whom he had formed, created there. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may freely, unconditionally eat the fruit from every tree of the garden, but only from the tree of the knowledge, recognition of good and evil, shall, you shall not eat. Otherwise, on the day that you eat from it, you shall most certainly die because of your disobedience. So you see, I mean, if somebody is giving you giving you everything. They say buffet. There's no choice. But God said, don't eat this one. The fruit of knowledge of good and evil. You can ask any psychiatrist, what's the knowledge of good and evil? That's the guilt and condemnation does to people. They were telling us so many stories about what psychiatrists experience with some of our customers when we went for one kind of training and I was dumbfounded. And the root was guilt and condemnation. And it's still happening today. And God didn't want man to partake of that. But God, I mean, if you love somebody, there has to be things that show that you really love. God said every other thing. Like he's saying, you may sit on any of these chairs, but see this one, don't sit there. So when you choose to, it's because you don't believe me. So this sin of Adam called you know, death, brought spiritual death to man. Romans 5.17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, over every human. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gifts of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So you see, the sin of Adam brought spiritual death, separation from God. Man died a spiritual death. That is, they acquired the spirit of the devil. They acquired the DNA of the devil. They lost the DNA of God. And that was how we got into this bondage. They became prisoners of sin. The Bible said in Ephesians 2.1, And you he made alive when you were spiritually dead and separated from him because of your transgressions and sin. Because of the sin of Adam. So everyone that has not yet, that is born of a man and a woman needs to be, made, to be made alive. And it's only through Jesus Christ. Sin brings condemnation. That's what the Bible said in Romans 5.16. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. If you have not yet received Jesus... You are living in condemnation. You may not know it. And that is a destructive uh, you know, you know, uh, thing. It can destroy one's life. It can affect you all around. 
all round. If you have not received this free gift, Jesus himself said in Mark 16, 16, he who has believed in me and has been baptized will be saved from the penalty of God's wrath and judgment. But he who has not believed will be condemned. So if you don't believe in Jesus, condemnation is your portion. And we know in Romans 8, 1 that the Bible says there is therefore now no more condemnation, no guilt, verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. It's only in Christ Jesus that we are, we are out of this condemnation that kills. For the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of the new, our new being has set you free from the law of sin and death. So it's only in Christ Jesus that we are out of this condemnation. Sin corrupts. Sin corrupts. Titus 1 verse 5 and 6 says, to the pure, all things are pure. That's referring to the believers. Your DNA becomes pure. It's not because of your performance. It's because of the Jesus that is now in you. So that makes you pure. That makes you holy. That makes you righteous. And you know, it says to the, to, to the unbelieving, nothing is pure. The reason why nothing is pure is because they have the DNA of the devil. Not because of the act of sin, but because of the DNA of the devil. That's why the Bible says nothing is pure. Both their mind and their conscience are corrupted. They profess to know God, to recognize and be acquainted with him. Even when they say they go to church, even when they carry the Bible and they quote the Bible, and they might even be preaching. He said, but by their actions, they deny and disown him. What is that, their action? They refuse not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are detestable and disobedient and worthless for good work of any kind. They can do some good work, but their motive, the inside, is the DNA of the devil. Again, check out with the psychiatrist. I had so much at my job training. Sin suppressed man from God and from his glory. And it is that his glory, the glorious inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. That's, God wants us to enjoy it. But sin, if you don't have Jesus in you, you don't have God's DNA, and therefore you are totally separated from the Father. Sin brings judgment and everlasting punishment. The Bible says so in Matthew 25, 46. He said, then these unbelieving people will go away into eternal unending punishment. Unbelieving, not unbelieving. It's not because of the act of sin. You know, it's because Jesus already paid the price of sin. That's why people are not dropping dead when they sin. Because God is giving them a rope. But if they finally they don't believe, then they will have to answer for everything. So he said, in a, uh, then these unbelieving people will go away into eternal unending punishment. But those who are righteous and in right standing with God will go by his remarkable grace. Not by their performance, by his remarkable grace. Jesus is the grace of God given to us into eternal unending life. Sin enslaves. The Bible says so in Romans 6.16. Do you not know that when you continually offer yourself to someone to do his will, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey, either slaves of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. That's right standing with the Father. So sin enslaves. Only in Christ Jesus we receive the new nature, God's DNA, that really gives us the power 
to live above sin. In 1 John 3, 6 and 9, the Bible said, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, cannot sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. It's talking about God's DNA in you, the seed of the spirit of Christ in you. That spirit of Christ in you is pure, holy, righteous. It's not talking about your mind, will, and emotion. It's talking about your new DNA. He cannot sin. That your new man cannot sin because it is the seed of God in you. Your new man. That's why you have to constantly renew yourself with the word of God so that you'll be able to checkmate this body of sin. Let's look at that. So under grace, sin no longer will no longer be your master because you live by your new man. In Romans 6, 6, 7, and then 12, 14, the Bible says there, knowing this, that our old man, the old nature that acquired the, the, the spirit of the devil, that's your old nature, your old DNA. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. Might. It's up to you. To the extent to which you renew your mind is to the extent to which your acts begins to conform to your, the real you, which is your new man. Might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. You've been freed from sin. Somebody can be freed. A prisoner can be freed, but still chooses to remain in the prison. Like some slaves, we are freed. But some of them, because they didn't know, they kept on living like slaves. The body, say, for, verse 7, for he has died and has, uh, has been freed from sin. But you need to know it. You need a revelation of this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its laws, verse 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present your, yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. You have what it takes to say no to sin. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. He said, present your members by your new man. You have, you have what he has to say, no, I'm not going to tell a lie. You choose to tell the truth. No, I'm not going to do this. I've been freed from sin. I'm not, no, but nothing is compelling me to sin. I will read this uh, Romans 6, 6 and 7 in AMPC. He said, we know that our old and renewed self was nailed to the cross with him. In order that our body, which is the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective and inactive for evil, that we might no longer be the slaves of sin. It's up to you. You have what it takes to make this your body of sin to be in. You see, it's like 
your body has been programmed. That is talking about your mind, will, and emotion have been programmed. This is the way you've been living all your life until you got born again. That's why somebody can be born again today and tomorrow steps out there and tells a lie or cheats. Because the body, mind, will, and emotion has been programmed to do those things. So you need now to re-educate your mind. And that's why the Bible says, come, let me, ch let me change the way you think. Let me help you to understand that, look, you have a new mind. You are a new person. You are not the same person that you used to be. Verse, you know, verse, 17, verse 7 says in that, that AM piece, it says, For when a man dies, he is freed, loosed, delivered from the power of sin among men. You are free. You are not wearing white. You should know, recognize, have the revelation of the fact that you, now, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In NLT, that's in verse 14 of Romans, it says, Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You live under the freedom of God's grace. So you have what it takes to say, no, I'm not going to do this. I, it's what the Bible says. If God says it, I believe it. That settles it for me. I don't care how you feel, what you think. It's what the word says I'm going to do. So you are dead to the power of sin. Get a revelation of that. It comes as to constantly renew your mind. The Bible said in verse 10 of that Romans chapter 6, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. And that's what we are so called to do, that are born again. So, so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Consider yourself that, look, it's the same thing with you. Consider yourself as wearing white so that you don't have to go and be wallowing in dirt. When you begin to live in the consciousness of the Father that I'm wearing a sparkling white garment, you don't see him more than you go and sit down there. So that is get a revelation of who you are in Christ and what Jesus did for you. Grace saved you and it's the same grace that will continue to teach you how to live this Christian life. In Titus 2 verse 12, the Bible said, this same grace teaches us how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles. And it equips us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. How does it do it? The word of God is the word of his grace. As you constantly fellowship with the word, renewing your mind, the word of God begins to teach you. The word of his grace begins to educate you. This is what the word said. This is who you are. The word of God is like the mirror. I remembered when I dressed up this morning and I was stepping out from the house and one man said, better go and check out yourself on the, on the mirror. And then I just went over to the mirror because the big mirror is downstairs. And when I went over, I said, I realized that I, I didn't come with my heart. I said, oh my goodness, I forgot my heart. I had to run upstairs. What if I had stepped out? That means I would have been looking for someone to help me go and get my heart or maybe I'll do without it. So the word of God mirrors to you who you are. The grace, the word of his grace teaches you. The same grace that saved you is the same that will continue to teach you. That's why you keep sub submitting yourself to the word of God. I don't forget this man of God. Okay, Onozom. One time he's, he had a, a conference at a Portacot in Nigeria. And I think I've told this story before. And then uh, he, he checked into a hotel. I think he was going out for something. Or I think he was coming in, whichever one is the case. 
But a, a young lady approached him and said, hi, and met her eyes like this. And the man turned like this and said, I'm a dead man. The lady said, what? I'm a dead man. So the girl ran. Because she, <laughs> to her, she thought maybe she was meeting with a ghost. But the man was simply describing the look. That part of me that used to respond to this thing is dead. I'm free. I don't respond to these things. I only respond to what the word said. We should reckon with the fact. And I remembered another story that somebody told us at our home fellowship just this uh, last week. He said somebody was giving him an issue at his job. He had told his boss and nobody could control that lady. He said when he spoke with my beloved husband, he said to him, when you go to the cemetery and then somebody's a you know, grave, talk anyhow you want, shout anyhow you want to that person and see what was going to be the response. And he figured it out. He said, there is no amount of shouting and talking that will ever make that person to respond to him. And he said, which means that the issue is with me. What is making me agitated is actually in me. That thing needs to die. And the Bible said, put to death your members. Because you have what it takes. Because sin shall no longer have dominion over you. The Bible said that sin gives the devil an inroad into our lives. And you don't want it. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin by which it brings death is the law. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 20, 56. Any form of death. It can be death you know, your, can aggravate your health, it can aggravate your pores, your pockets, poverty, confusion, all manner of things. So you don't want to give the devil an inroad. The Bible says we shouldn't give him any room in our lives. We should live based on the law of love. That is for those of us who have met Jesus, the Lord, over our lives. Christ is the end of the law for those who have put their faith in him. The Bible says so in Romans chapter 10 verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law. It leads to him and it brings, it, and its purpose is fulfilled in him. For granting righteousness to everyone who believes in him as savior. The Lord gave, God gave them law at the time of Moses. But they weren't able to keep it. And a lot of things were happening to them. Look at that Deuteronomy 28 from verse 15 down. You see what happens to them for not keeping what God wanted them to keep. Nobody, even the, the ten, nobody was able to keep it. But, but Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the law. So the moment you put your faith in him, God counts you as righteous. And then you now receive the Holy Spirit who now begins to lead you and guide you the way of love. That's why the Bible said in that Romans 8, 14, but as many as are allowing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God because God will never compel you. You have to choose to allow the Spirit to lead you, to guide you. And the word of God is that spirit. That's whatever the word says, you choose to live based on the word of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, 13, 14, the Bible said there, in him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed. The moment you're born again, you receive the Holy Spirit, you know, sealing. 
you are sealed, the Holy Spirit of promise, which is God's DNA that identifies you as a child of God. Verse 14 says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased position to the praise of his glory? So you see, you first of all hear, like we are, they were reading for us, who, how shall they believe if nobody talks to them? Somebody has to tell them about Jesus. That's why he said, in him you also trusted after you had the word of truth. You must hear something about Jesus and what he did. The gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The purchased possession that he's talking about is our new body. It has been purchased, but it has not been redeemed. Because we are still in this flesh of sin, that's why God gave us what we, it takes to checkmate the flesh, our mind, will, and emotion, to, to have control and to say no to certain things and to agree with whatever the word of God said. And because sometimes we blow it and we sin, the Holy Spirit comes to you know, convict us of righteousness, to remind us of the fact that, look, God still loves you. You are a child of God. You are a child of God, encouraging us so that we don't get discouraged and then like some people will say, he that is down needs fear no more. I don't belong. And just check out. No. The Holy Spirit is there to convict you of the fact that God still loves you and that you're a child of God. You should remain in faith. He said that in, Rome, in John chapter 16, 8 to 11. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And then he began to explain that. Of sin because they do not believe in me. The only sin that the, the, the God is convicting the world of is the sin of not knowing Jesus. Remember I said it is the root that produces the fruit of unrighteousness. It's not the singular act that makes somebody a sinner. It's simply because people were naturally born sinners. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin of not knowing Jesus. One sin, singular, of not knowing Jesus. And then the second one says, of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more. That's for the believers. He convicts us of righteousness, reminding us constantly that you are a child of God. And it is in this righteousness that you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression. You shall keep knowing and knowing, understanding the fact that you are in right standing with the father. That's why the Bible said in Romans 5.17 that... Um, you know, those that have, that have received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. It is by this knowing of the fact that God loves you, that God approves of you, that you are the apple of it as you have been accepted in the beloved because you have chosen Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. That gives you the boldness. And even when you miss it, the Bible says we should come boldly in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What is the time of need? It's when you blow it because you're still in this flesh of sin. And the Holy Spirit comes with encouragement, my dear, God still loves you. You're bigger than this. You can make it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Sin has payment and God knows it. For the wages of sin is dead. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And God doesn't want us to enjoy those wages of sin. In Romans 6, 23, 
So that's why Jesus came. The Bible said he came to seek and to save that which was lost in Luke 19.10. That was why Jesus came, because God is so intensely in love with man that he created. So Jesus came after all. God came down in the person of Jesus to free all from this power of sin. In John 3.17, he said, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge and condemn the world, that is to initiate the final judgment of the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You know, some people run away from the church thinking that, ah, they won't allow me to enjoy my life to the max. No, you don't know life until you know Jesus. Know Jesus, know peace. But if you know Jesus, you will know peace because he's the prince of peace. Praise the Lord. So God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. First John 3, 5 and 8 says, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. As eight, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. What are those works of the devil? Sin, sickness, poverty, name it. Anything that is not enabling you to enjoy your life, to, to be satisfied with life. That was why Jesus Christ came. And that's why he said in John 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Awesome. Amen. That was why Jesus came. So, I thank God for the Enrich Ministry and even the Visitors Follow Up Ministry. You know, see, because uh, we have many scoffers today and our people need to be followed up. That's why we call it Enrich. They reach out to the members to make sure they are still standing and to encourage them. In Second Peter chapter 3, 3, 4, and 9, the Bible says there, Knowing this, first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." That's simply the reason why Jesus has not yet come, because there are many people out there. And that's why we're encouraging us to reach out to people, to share this good news. Live out this life of Christ. Understand you're a child of God. Understand who you are and what you have. So you can live this life of Christ to the max, such that your life becomes worth the appetite of others, to want to have what you have. Amen? He said, I'm saying, okay, I've read that. Uh, so Second uh, Timothy 3, 1 to 5, 12 to 13. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, ungiven, unforgiven, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, Haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness by denying its power. And from such people turn away. Yes, all and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. People will criticize you. People will call your name be gods or whatever. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So we must, I mean, we are seeing this happening all around us. And that's why it is important. 
that we stay strong in our conviction of the fact that we are children of God, understand the fact that you've been freed from sin, so you live for God's glory, and be effective witness wherever you find yourself. In our world today, sin is being glamorized, like as if it's now, it's the now thing is in vogue, but you know, don't be deceived. Jesus will finally come, and at the, at the end, every knee must have to bow before him. He said in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of, the, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the, in the image of God, should shine on them. Is the devil blind, blindfolding people? And that's why we should be interceding, praying in the spirit, and also making, available, making ourselves available to be witnesses, to tell people about the love of Christ, what Jesus did for us. John 3, 16, 18, the Bible says so. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten son so that whoever believes and trusts in him as savior shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes and has decided to trust in him as personal savior and Lord is not judged. For this one, there is no judgment, no rejection, no condemnation. But the one who does not believe and has decided to reject him as personal savior and Lord is judged already. That one has been convicted and sentenced because he has not believed and trusted in the name of the one and only begotten son of God. The one who is truly unique, the only one of his kind, the one who alone can save. It's only Jesus. So you see people are judged and condemned because they don't believe in Jesus. But once you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're saved. I remember the one man at my job when I was telling him about Jesus. He said, Dorothy, how can you tell me that a man that died 2,000 years ago died for me? Did he even know me? You know, that was ignorance. I tried different times. I left him with God. And the thing hasn't been so, hasn't been going so well with him. Because, like I said, no Jesus, no peace. He said in John chapter 1 verse 12, but to as many as did receive and welcome him, Jesus, he gave the right, the authority, the privilege to become children of God. That is to those who believe in, adhere to, trust in, and rely on his name. You see that authority we lost in Adam? When you receive Jesus Christ, you receive that authority back. He has commissioned you and I to go and help others to hear this good news. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it says, Jesus came up and said to them, all authority, all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me and obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them. That's why we have Sunday School Home Fellowship. We come to church to hear. We are all being taught, like we are reminded at the Sunday school today, so that we'll be able to represent him fully. Teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance, and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. So we've been commissioned. We've been given this authority back. We have to use it to share this good news. We have to use it to help people, to heal the sick, 
He said he gave us the keys of the kingdom in Matthew 6, 16, 19. Repeated also in Matthew 18, 18. He gave us the keys of the kingdom. Whatever we allow would have been what is allowed in heaven. Whatever you disallow, it's up to you. Whatever you allow, it's up to you. If you choose failure, it's up to you. If you choose success, it's up to you. If you choose whatever you allow, it's up to you. But it's important for us to know that we have what it takes to stand our ground and real and live our lives victoriously here on earth. He said in Mark 16, 15 to 20, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed in me and has been baptized will be saved from the penalty of God's wrath and judgment. But he who has not believed will be condemned. And then he said, these signs will accompany those who have believed. It's for believers. It's not for pastors. For believers, if you have believed in Lord Jesus, it's for you. He said, these signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. Because you have believed in me. The Lord Jesus says. So, so then, when the Lord Jesus has spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Because everything about our salvation is a done deal. And verse 20 said, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord was walking with them and confirming the word by the signs that followed. They went out. So we too should be going out. Go out in your family. Your goal as a parent, help your children to get to know the Lord by modeling it for them. By helping them to understand that Jesus is the way. They are not born into God's family because they are born into your home. They are born into God's family when they themselves hear about Jesus and they choose to put their faith in him as their Lord and their Savior. So you must understand that you are a carrier of God. Colossians chapter 2, 9 to 10 says, For in him, Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression of the divine nature. The divine nature, not the human nature. The one that is messed up with the Adam's sin. We now have divine nature. And you are in him, made full and having come to fullness of life. In Christ, you too are filled with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And rich full spiritual stature. And he is the head of all rule and authority for, of every angelic principality and power. You are a carrier of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit lives in you. Anytime I get a job, the first thing I do, I say, Father, I thank you because you are in me. Jesus is in me. You are in me. The Holy Spirit is in me. So because I'm here and you are in me, the kingdom is set up here. So this king, your kingdom rules and reigns from this cubicle in Jesus' name. Whatever you want me to do, I'm all yours. That's the first thing I do when I step into my, my cubicle at my job. Look at Peter. You know, with this guy that was, that was you know, lame in uh, Acts chapter 3, 2, and 6, he said, And a man who had been unable to walk from birth was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at, the, at that gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. Then verse 6, say, But Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. What do I have? The name of Jesus. In the name authority, power. We Remember we lost it in Adam? 
that we now have it back in Christ Jesus. In the name, authority, power of Jesus Christ, the Nazareth, begin now to walk and go on walking. You do these things by faith, for the joy shall live by faith. You must understand who you are as a child of God if you're already born again. That's why the Bible said if you do not have the spirit of Christ in you, you don't belong to him. In that Romans chapter 8 verse 9b, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you are not a child of God. You can go to church any time you want, sleep in the church. It's like sleeping in a garage thinking you're a car. If you're a car, you stay in a garage to protect yourself. If you're a church, you come to church to learn who you are and to learn how to exercise your authority. But coming to church will never make you a child of God. What makes you a child of God is that you have received God's DNA, which is the spirit of Christ, by choosing Jesus. Salvation is only by grace and it's available to everyone. The Bible said in Titus chapter 2 verse 11, God's marvelous grace has manifested in person, bringing salvation for everyone. Which means everyone qualifies, regardless of their level of sin or depravity. Everyone is for everyone. God's marvelous grace has manifested in person, and that person is Jesus Christ. But the only thing is that it becomes yours the day you choose to believe him, the day you choose to put your faith in him. You know, we were once in that old nature, but finally Jesus came, and we put our faith in him, and we received our salvation, and we became God's children. Amen? And God knows those who have genuinely committed to him. The Bible said the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, 19a, he said, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. He said, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God knows if you have genuinely committed to him. That's what the Bible said. In that 2 Timothy 2, 19a. Amen? So if you are not sure today, it's important, wherever you are at the sound of my voice, if you are not sure you have genuinely met Jesus the Lord over your life, it's important that you accept this God's uh, salvation plan. Accept it, and all it takes is for you to simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. When, uh, I remember the, the, the jailer, Remember what, uh, when, when he finally, you know, saw, you know, Paul and Silas, they didn't, you know, sneak out because he saw the prison door open. He said, he brought them out and he said, men and women, what must I do? That's in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did, and he was saved. Also, remember uh, Philips and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, 36, 39, you know, when Philip joined that Ethiopian eunuch, when they met water, the man said, here is water. What stops me from being saved? They said, Philip said to them, if you believe. And he said, I believe. I believe, that's Acts chapter 8, 36, 39. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And that's it. So all it takes is for you to believe. The same thing with the Cornelius family. When Peter was preaching to them, when he said in verse 38 of Acts, you know, chapter, chapter 10, he said, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power 
who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on the cross for, to, to deal with our sin, with our sickness, with our poverty. And the Bible says, he said, God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to the witnesses chosen by, before by God. And then jump to verse 23, 43. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will have remission of sins. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who had the word. And they began to speak in tongues, which confirms to the apostles that, look, these people, God has accepted them as his own. So what does it take? Just simply believe that Jesus is the son of God. Believe that the dead that he died was for you. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. There's no other person. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, 5 and 6, the Bible said, For there is only one God and only one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom, a substitutory sacrifice to atone for all. The, for all. He atoned for all, the whole world, everyone you can think of. Amen? And Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, there is no one else who has the power to save us, for there is only one name to whom God has given authority by which we must experience salvation. Jesus is the only way to God. There is no other name. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us the divine exchange that took place. He said, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So if you haven't done these things, you should know. You know, and Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes next to the Father except through union with me. To know me is to know my Father too. That's why we said it's only through Jesus that we receive this uh, sonship relationship and also our inheritance back. Some people cling to the law. The law will never make you right with God. It's only through Jesus that we receive right with God. I will read this scripture. It said in uh, Romans chapter 3, 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. No matter who you are, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus, through Christ Jesus, when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Can we boast then? that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, without whether they are Jews or Gentiles. So it's only by faith 
that we are made right with God. And we must understand, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, if you have made him the Lord, that you have been redeemed. You have been transferred into the, into, into the, um, his own, the kingdom of God. Your old nature has been cut off. And your new nature is now God's DNA. And you are complete in Christ Jesus. You now belong to Jesus. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And you are complete in him, lacking nothing. The only thing you need is to constantly renew your mind through the word of his grace so that you will grow more and more into understanding the fact that you now have a garment of righteousness. You are accepted in the beloved and God loves you. And then you now begin to live for him, honoring him. And then you now begin to share this good news with those who are out there who have not yet heard this good news. Amen? Praise the Lord. So we are now Jesus' brothers and sisters. So God is now our father. And his love will compel us to continue to share this good news with those who have not yet embraced this wonderful savior as theirs. And if you have him in you, the Bible said the spirit of Christ bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, according to Romans chapter 8, if you begin to read from verse 15. So I want us to bow our heads. If you're here and you don't have that inward witnessing in you, that you have met Jesus, the Lord over you, you are not sure. You need to know that you know, just like you know your name and you know your father's name, you know your source. You're supposed to know if you belong to Christ, if you are a child of God, if Jesus should come today, you should know that you know that you know that you are a child of God. If there's anyone, I want you to say after me, Lord Jesus, I want us, all of us to say it together, including those online. I want you to say after me, Lord Jesus, I believe in my heart that you are the son of God. I believe that the death that you died was for all my sins, past, present, and even future sin. Today, I put my faith in you. I believe you. You are now my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Father, as many as genuinely did this, you know their hearts. Whether they are here or online, or those who might listen later on, is a big issue. I pray, Father, that you will give them an understanding of what they did today and help them to find a living church to grow in the understanding of who they are in Christ Jesus so that they will begin to enjoy their rights and privileges as your children. For those who have already made this commitment, Father, help us, Lord God of mercy, not to really cherish what we have and to grow deeper and deeper in the understanding of what we have. And let your love compel us, not to zip our lips, but to go on modeling this life of Christ and also sharing this good news to as many as we will bring our way. We give you the praise, Father God. We thank you for answered prayers. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Amen.